today we are going to talk about regret. We're going to talk about regret. You know, uh, that most of the things that you will regret in your life when you get old is not the things that you have done, but it's the things that you could have done that you didn't do. You ever heard that before? That, that when, you, when you get older, it's not regretting actions, it's regretting inaction. In Bible terms, we would say it like this, that there are sins of commission. Those are the sins, those are the things that we do that we shouldn't do. And I probably don't have to spend a lot of time on those because whether you're religious or not, spend much time around church or not, somebody in your life has probably beat you up and made you feel guilty about things you did that you shouldn't do, right? Which this is not the point of the message, but I think it's a good point to just stop and say we could all love a little more, talk a little less. I don't know about you, but I've never been guilted into changing my life for the better, right? So we wanna love people more. So maybe you probably are familiar with sins of commission. Like everybody has a list. It's a list given to you by your parents or your youth pastor or your uh, school teacher or whatever. It's those things you shouldn't do, sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever it is. Like, it's the things that you shouldn't do. Now, I grew up in a very uh, religious church environment, and uh, some of you have heard my story, but I grew up in, in a religious environment, and the, and the worst thing you could do, like at the top of the list, the worst thing you could do, are you ready for this? Dance. That's the worst thing you could do. You did not dance. Matter of fact, at Andrew and I's wedding reception, there was no dancing. We didn't do it. Just, just chicken fingers. That's all we had was just chicken fingers because you were not allowed to dance. It was in the contract for the church. You were not allowed to dance. And I don't know how the logic like, worked. I don't know how they set it all up. But the worst thing that, that could ever be said of you is that you danced. Like you didn't do drugs because if you got high, you'd end up dancing. Like that's, that was the logic. And I don't know how that worked. You know, don't get drunk because you end up dancing, right? So like... That was the logic, and that was a long time ago. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And some of you can tell that I missed the first 30 years of my life dancing when you see me dance now. Um, so I just kind of go out for the slow songs at the reception and just kind of, come on, put the hands around the hips. Come on, just rock it back and forth. That's about all that I can do because that was the worst thing you could do. That was on the list, at the top of the list. And everybody has a list. Everybody, you were given a list by somebody or you came up with a list on your own, and those are those things that you should not do, those moments when you said yes, but you should have said no. Those are sins of commission. But we don't just have sins of commission or commission in our lives. We also have sins of omission. And sins of omission are those things that we don't do that we should have done. It's those moments in life when we should have said yes, but we said no. We said no. Those are the things that we will regret. Mark Twain uh, was famously quoted as saying something so awesome that I can't remember it unless I look at it. Hold on one second. He was quoted as saying, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the things that you did. So throw, out, throw off the bow lines, bow lines and sell away from the safe harbor. Those sins of omission, those those, those missed opportunities. In finance, it's called opportunity cost. Opportunity cost. Opportunity cost is, is the loss of potential gains because of an alternative chosen. That's just a fancy way of saying opportunity cost is what you could have had if you'd said yes. That's why every financial advisor in the world wants you to start investing yesterday. 
right? They want you to start investing as soon as possible because of opportunity cost, but also because of another powerful uh, thing, tool called compound interest, compound interest. Compound interest, the, the layman's way of saying compound interest, compound interest is just interest on interest, on interest, on interest, on interest. And you may have been familiar with this. This is not economics class, so I'm not going to bore you with a lot of, a lot of finance talk today. But you, you maybe have done this exercise before where you realized the power of compound interest. And I just want to show this to you today because it's, it's so powerful that let's just say that you saved $1,000 a year. $1,000 a year for 40 years. This is not a trick question. The preacher is not trying to trick you. If you saved $1,000 for 40 years, how much money would you have? Some of you guys are like, I'm not answering. I know he's trying to trick me. Like, no tricks. You would have $40,000. That's correct. Good job on that math. Now, let's say that, that, in, that you saved up $40,000, and on your 65th birthday, you invested that money for one year at 8% interest. Any math nerds know what that would be? All right, it would be $43,200, that you would have $43,200, right? But let's say that instead of saving $1,000 a year and holding on to it until your 65th birthday and then investing it for one year at 8% interest, let's say that you invested $1,000 a year for 40 years, and every year that you put $1,000 in there, you got an average of 8% interest, you would have a lot more than $43,200, right? Some of you know because you've done this exercise. You would have $301,506. Same amount of money, $1,000 every year, exact same amount of money. The difference is compound interest. That by putting that money in there year after year after year and getting the interest on the interest on the interest, you actually have a gain of $258,306, all because you said what? Yes, instead of saying later. You said yes instead of, instead of later. Okay, now I promise no more math. Some of you are like, I came to church today. Wow, this is like math economics class. Nope, no more math. Not talking any more math. But I think that there is a really powerful point, a really powerful lesson in what we just learned about, about money. And that is that all of us in the room vastly underestimate the compound interest of a yes in life. That all of us vastly underestimate the compound interest of a yes in life. For some of us, it's a yes when we should have said no. And the compound interest over interest over interest over interest over time, we find ourselves in a place where we look back and we say, I can't believe I ended up here. How did I get here? And it was because the compound interest of a yes a long time ago. But for some of us in the room, most of us in the room, it's not about when we said yes, but we should have said no. It's about when we said no and we should have said yes. Are you still with me? And so when we decide to say yes instead of later, Compound interest over time, over time, over time. 40 years later, people say, how did, how, did your, how did your kids not end up crazy? Or I just, I, I, I said the right yes 40 years ago. How are you still married? How are you celebrating a 50th wedding anniversary? I, I, I said yes, the right yes 40 years ago. How do you have such faith? How are you able to pray like that? 
How, how, how are you not always stressed out? How are you always not depressed? I, I said yes 40 years ago. I said the right yes when everybody else could have said no or later. I said yes, and we all vastly underestimate the power of that. So I want you to hold that thought for a second because we're going to come back to it in just a moment. The power of a yes, the compound interest uh, on a yes. But I heard a joke the other day. Should I tell this in the 1130? Was it, it wasn't funny, was it? All right, I'm going to tell it anyway. All right, so I heard this joke the other day. I need y'all to laugh, even if it's not funny, okay? So I heard this joke the other day about a guy who was walking down the beach, and uh, he tripped over this lamp, and in his anger, he turned around, and he kicked it. Well, when he kicked it, a genie came out uh, of the lamp. And so the genie comes out, and he says, uh, he says listen, you've really ticked me off because you kicked my lamp, but I'm obligated to give you three wishes, but here's what I'm going to do. For every wish that you make, I'm going to give it to you, but I know you hate your boss. He's a jerk. So what I'm going to do to get even with you is I'm going to give your boss twice of what you get, what you wish for. Guy's thinking, he's like, all right, that's all right. I mean, I do hate my boss, but it'll be all right. So his first wish, he says, I want like lots of money. Let me just pick a number, $22 million. And Jeannie's like, okay, he gives him $22 million. But at the same time, in the bank account of his boss, $44 million. So he loves that he's got it, but he's kind of like, oh, I don't know. So the second wish, he says, okay, I want like fancy sports cars. So all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Lamborghini, Ferrari, all these cars. I'm not a car guy, but yeah, that sounds fancy. So that's what he gets, right? Yeah, he gets that. And at the same time, in his boss's driveway, two of every car shows up. And so now the guy's thinking, man, I, I, I've gotten it good, but my boss has gotten it even better. And then Jeannie says, okay, you got one more wish. What do you want? And the guy thinks about it and he says, you know, I think I'd like to donate my kidney. Nobody? No. Okay, sorry. I thought it was funnier than that. I don't know. Just that's the best I got. I don't know. Material's a little dry right now. You only have one kidney. Guy gets two kidneys. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I want you to imagine for just a second that you found a genie in a bottle. Imagine you found a, a genie in a bottle. Brad, don't look at me like that. That was funny. Don't look at me like that, Brad. Brad's like, going funny. I, I want you to imagine that you found a genie in a bottle. But in this scenario that I'm describing to you, instead of getting whatever you want, instead of having three wishes to be able to get what you want, in this scenario, you don't get anything new, but this genie is able to take away something from your life that you want to get rid of. So you've got three wishes, and the genie will remove something from your life that you want removed. What kind of stuff would you wish for? What about student loans? Anybody with me on that? Like, Jeannie, take away student loans. Come on. Uh, 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 belly fat. Come on, just take away the belly fat. The calories, come on. Take away, I want to eat Krispy Kreme donuts with no calories. Come on, I just like, whatever it is, like a car payment, all kinds of debt, whatever you, you want to make there. Maybe it's uh, my boss. I don't know, I don't know what take away means, but whatever, we'll just, that's another sermon. But like, I just, you know, I, I just want to take, Take it away. I want you to imagine in this scenario that you get to remove anything from your life that you want gone, and it happens immediately. Well, there's a story in the Bible in Exodus chapter 8. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but there's a story in the Bible where this kind of happened. It wasn't a genie. It was a guy named Moses. But we're in the, we're in the middle of, uh, of the story of the children of Israel in, in, in Exodus where Moses is trying to lead them out and he has to go to Pharaoh. Oh, God, God tells Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let the people go, but Pharaoh's not gonna listen to you. So what I want, I'm gonna send plagues to Egypt 
for two reasons. One, I'm going to kind of show off that I'm God because they don't know that I'm God, and I want them to know that, so I'm going to display my power. But the second reason is I want them to know that I shouldn't be messed with, and so I'm going to send plagues so that they will not only let you go, but they're going to, like, send gifts with you as you go, okay? So Moses shows up, and he tells Pharaoh, I want you to let the people go, and Pharaoh says no, and he says, okay, you sure you want to do that? God's going to send plagues, right? So we're going to read in Exodus chapter 8, number 2 of 10. The first plague was all the water in Egypt turned to blood, and which is crazy, and when that happened, Pharaoh's like, please take this away. I'll let the people go. So God took it away, but then he changed his mind, and so in Exodus chapter 8, God is about to send frogs. That's plague number 2. He's about to send frogs, and here's what it says in Exodus chapter 8, starting with verse 6. It says, so Aaron, that was Moses' friend, so Aaron raised his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up and covered the whole land. Some of you guys, like you, I don't know, maybe you like frogs, you're animal lovers, you're like, oh, that doesn't sound that bad. It's terrible. Frogs everywhere, right? Frogs everywhere. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and begged Plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord. You set the time, Moses replied. Tell me when you want me to pray for you, your officials and your people. Then you and your houses will be rid of the frogs, and they will remain only in the Nile River. Now let's stop before we read on, because we need to kind of just make sure, I want to make sure that you're, you're following, you're tracking with me here on this story, okay? I want you to imagine... For a second, that frogs are everywhere. It's not just like some contained large amount of frogs. No, frogs are everywhere because that's what's happening in this story. You get in the shower, frogs. You go to eat breakfast. You put your spoon down in your bowl, frogs, right? You get in the bed at night to go to sleep and you slide your feet under the covers. Come on, frogs, okay? You go to put your shoes on in the morning and you slide your feet in, frogs, I mean, they're everywhere. The frogs are everywhere. Some of you guys are like, oh, they're so cute. No, they're disgusting, and they're everywhere, okay? They're everywhere. You're like a biology major in college. You love frogs, whatever. They're everywhere. They're disgusting. We don't want frogs. They're, they're everywhere. And so imagine in this scenario that me or whoever, whatever, comes to you and says, listen, God has given me the ability to eliminate the frogs, to get rid of the frogs, no more frogs, no more frogs in your shoes, no more frogs under the covers, no more frogs in your shower, no more frogs in your cereal, no more frogs. You can get rid of them. You just tell me when and I'll pray and they'll be gone. Now, if in that scenario, another not trick question here, in that scenario, if I said, hey, you set the time, whatever, when do you want them gone? It's a guarantee, it's a lock, they're gonna be gone. What would you say? Right now. Yesterday, as I'm talking, Moses, now, let's do it. Anybody in their right mind would say, right now, right? Do it tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Do it tomorrow. All right, Moses replied. It will be as you have said. It will be as you have said. Are you kidding me right now? Like, this is one of those stories that we read and we're like, this can't be real. Who in their right mind would be dumb enough 
to choose tomorrow when you could choose right now? Like, like who in their right mind would choose to keep some disgusting, distracting, gross, bothersome, in the way thing in their life and keep it till tomorrow when they could get rid of it today? Who would be that stupid? Well, that's a rhetorical question because the answer is all of us. All of us have these, let's just call them frogs in our life. These frogs in our life. And we keep saying tomorrow instead of today, right? It's those things that have been around and, and, and we don't want them in our life. We don't need them in our life. We know God doesn't want them in our life. But when we think about dealing with it or getting rid of it, we just think about tomorrow because tomorrow is so glamorous, isn't it? Isn't tomorrow so glamorous? Tomorrow's when you're going to start your diet. <laughs> to prepare for that diet, you're going to eat a box of Krispy Kreme tonight because you're starting tomorrow. You just want to reset that metabolism. Like tomorrow is, is when you're going to go to the gym. Tomorrow is when you're going to wake up early and run. Tomorrow is... Uh, it's when you're gonna start living on a budget. Tomorrow is when you're gonna get involved in church. Tomorrow is when you're really gonna get serious about your faith and your relationship with God. You know what? You're gonna do it tomorrow. You're, 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 you're gonna do it tomorrow. Tomorrow. Really, no, honestly, Jason, tomorrow. Did you know that, um, that frogs live on average uh, 15 years? Did you know that? I didn't know that. That was Wikipedia. But, but like 15 to 20 years, that's how long frogs live on average. And some of the, the, the longest living frogs that have ever lived, um, they live up to 40 years. So an average frog lives 15 to 20 years. The long ones live, the old ones live for 40 years. This is not really, this is beside the point, but this is kind of interesting random frog facts for you. That, uh, that the, the, the largest frog in the world, they call him Goliath. And, and he's the size of a two-year-old child. Yeah, not my two-year-old child, because my two-year-old child looks five. But like, he, like a normal two-year-old child, that's how big this frog is, just random, doesn't really mean anything. But, but as I was reading that frogs live for 15 to 20 years, sometimes as long as 40, I begin to think about my life and your life and how long we're willing to carry stuff around. How, how long we're willing to get in the sheets at night and to sleep with them stupid frogs? Some of us since high school, we've been carrying something around. Carry around a hurt. We carry around a decision that we made. We carry around an addiction. Some of us were still carrying around a relationship. And we're not going to carry it around forever. Like, don't, listen, don't get me wrong. Like, we're not going to, it's not forever, but not today. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. We'll get it tomorrow. You know, the funny thing about tomorrow is that every time you get to tomorrow, there's another tomorrow. You know that? You probably knew that. There's another tomorrow. And another tomorrow. And so we're always looking at yesterday and we're always looking at tomorrow, but we're never looking at right now. And so 15, 20, 30 years we're still living with the frogs that we swore we would get rid of, right? 
And what Moses said to Pharaoh in this story, really, I think we could say the same thing to you, to me. You set the time. You set the time. Could it be, is it possible, maybe, that you've been praying and asking God to do something and God did the hard part, he's just waiting on you to do your part? He's just waiting on you to pull the plug, you to have the conversation, you to pick up the phone. He's waiting on you to show up. He's already done all the supernatural heavy lifting. He's just waiting on you to do your part. Could that be possible? Could it be true what Moses said to Pharaoh is true for you too, that you set the time? Pharaoh says, uh, tomorrow sounds good. And Moses says, it will be as you have said. Now listen, I'm not up here promising you some type of magic that if you just start saying that something's gonna go away, something's gonna go away. Because that's not how it works. I don't really know exactly how it works. Nobody really does. But I do know that there's power in your words. I do know that if you say, I'm always gonna be alone, I'm always gonna be alone, I'm always gonna be alone, and you keep repeating that, guess what you're probably gonna be? Alone. I'm always gonna be unhappy. I'm always gonna be fat. I'm always gonna be broke. I'm always gonna be poor. I'm always gonna be depressed. I'm always gonna be afraid. Bad stuff's gonna happen to my kids. Bad stuff's gonna happen to my kids. Bad stuff's gonna happen to my kids. It's crazy the self-fulfilling prophecies that happen in our life. My mom died at 49 of, of colon cancer and um, what was so spooky, she was healthy as could be, but what was so spooky is like most of my life she would always say like, yeah, I'll probably die of cancer. I'll probably die of cancer. And I'm not saying she died because she said that at all because that's ridiculous, but it's crazy the self-fulfilling prophecies that happen in our life, right? There's something powerful about that idea that Moses said that it will be as you have said. It will be as you have said. It will be as you have said. What in your life are you dealing with, struggling with, thinking about? What in your relationship with God is happening exactly like you said it was going to happen? Because it will be as you have said. That you set the time, and what are those things that you keep putting off? You keep putting off, you keep putting off, you keep putting off Kenny Chesney, uh, country singer. Uh, he wrote a song called no, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, but Nobody Wants to Go Now. And I think that's so true about so many of the things in our lives. Like, we really want to surrender our life to God, just not right now. We really want to give up those things that we know are causing our life grief and trouble, just not right now. Just not right now. And so what happens is days and tomorrows and tomorrows and tomorrows and tomorrows, they build up and 15 to 20 years later, those frogs are still around. They're still there, right? They're still there. I'll get serious about God tomorrow. I'll stop drinking tomorrow, but I'll stop drinking after this football season because I like to tailgate, you know, I like to start drinking at 10 a.m. And so after this season, I'll do that. I'll get involved in church later. Hey, what about this one? I, um... I know the relationship I have right now is not the right relationship for me, but I don't want to be lonely, so I'm going to do this right now. But later on, I'll find like that spiritual leader that I'm looking for uh, to marry. I'll do that tomorrow, right? I know it's not the best choice for me, but I'll get rid of it tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. And here, here's what's interesting about the story of the plagues. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to go, go read it, but 
In every one of these instances, when something bad happened to Pharaoh and to Egypt, in the moment of the consequence or the tragedy or the pain, he would always decide to do the right thing. So every time something would happen, he would say, you know what, I was wrong, you were right. If you'll take it away, then I will let the people go. He would make these if-then propositions with God. I know that you know about if-then propositions with God. We all know about if-then propositions with God, right? God, if you will, like that, that cop that's writing me that ticket right now, God, if you will just not give me a ticket, I promise I'll never speed again. God, if you'll keep me out of jail, then I'll get clean. God, if you'll save my marriage, I promise we'll go to church. God, if you'll save my kids, I promise I'll be a better leader. God, if you'll let me win the lottery, then I'll give half the money to the church. You would not. I mean, that's a soapbox issue. But like, you won't give a thousand, you're not gonna give a hundred million, but that's a separate topic. All right, so like, with these if-then propositions with God, I'd be willing to bet that that there are some promises you made to God at some point in your life. And here's the thing about if-then propositions with God is that God almost every time holds up his end of the deal. I know there have probably been a few instances where he didn't do what you wanted him to do, and we should thank God for that because he always knows the right thing to do. But most of the time, if you and I could sit down and, and, and look back and see how good God has been in your life, most of the time he holds up his end of the deal. But most of the time we don't, right? This, I'm not, this is not about guilt. Please don't let me guilt you because that's not what I'm trying to do. But as a pastor, so often I talk to so many people who are unemployed and their family's in a crisis and they come to me and they're in church every week and they're praying and they're believing and then they get the job and they're making money again and we don't see them anymore. Can't get pregnant, can't get pregnant, crying, praying, believing, can't get pregnant, gets a baby they're not here. Want to stay out of jail? God graciously moves on their behalf. They're not here. I could keep giving example after example after example because in the moment of consequence, in the moment of tragedy, whatever it is, we are so we, we have crystal clear vision about what our life is supposed to look like. We make promises to God about the things that we know we should be doing anyway. So here, what about this idea? I just want to throw this out there and just challenge you today with this. What if there were just no ifs? What if we just did what we knew we were supposed to do and we started today? And we started today. No more tomorrows. We're going to go ahead and start today. What action do you need to take today? What conversation do you need to have Today, what step of faith do you need to take today? I can't prove it, but I would be willing to bet that that night, hopefully Pharaoh didn't tell his wife about the conversation, but I'd be willing to bet that night as they're laying in bed and he feels those frogs on his feet. You know, he's sleeping in socks, had to be, but like, you know, he feels that fro frogs on his feet and he's like, there's like one like on his forehead. He's quite his eyes closed and he's like crawling down his nose and you think he was kicking himself? You think his wife, like, elbowed him? Like, you idiot. This could have been gone. We could have been done with this. And we're still sleeping with them stupid frocks. So I just wonder, like, it's such a simple concept, but I just wonder today, here, here's my challenge to you. Like, what frogs 
in your life that you need to deal with? What frogs have been, have been, have been around for 15 and 20 and 30 years, and it's time to stop putting them off until tomorrow and start dealing with them today. Because here's what's amazing about God is that it won't take you near as much time to, to clean it up as it did to screw it up. You just got to decide to do something about it right now. Do something about it right now. James, the book of James chapter 4. Starting verse 14, James said, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. That's what we were talking about at the beginning, the sins of omission. It's a sin. It's missed opportunity cost to know what you should do and not do it. And so listen, this would be an easy transition for me, and I, maybe I, I probably will a little bit later. This would be an easy transition for me to make this about eternity and to make this about heaven and to say, don't wait until tomorrow to commit your life to Jesus. And some of you, you do need to make that decision. But I'm not even necessarily talking about committing your life to Jesus so you don't go to hell. I'm talking about choosing to deal with hell on earth because you keep living with frogs. Keep living with frogs. So who do you need to forgive today? What do you need to let go of today? What do you need to give up today? What step of faith do you need to take today? Today. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, yeah, you can talk about dieting and eating healthy. That stuff's awesome. And, and it's part of it's spiritual. But, but I'm talking about like that relationship with God that you're thinking about right now. Like that thing in your head right now, that thing in your heart right now that you're thinking about. That dream, like some of you in the room today, I'm not talking to everybody, but some of you, you were having conversations with God 5, 10, 15 years ago. And you and God were having some conversations about what your life was going to look like and, and what you should do with it and what you shouldn't do and where you should go and where you shouldn't go. You were having some really serious conversations. You even made some promises to God 5, 10, 15 years ago. And here's what's so incredible about God is that even though you decided to not carry that or fulfill that or honor that, God in his sovereignty figures out a way to let time continue to move on, but hold that opportunity open for you 15 years later for you to say, God, I know it took me 15 years, but now I'm ready today. I'm saying yes today. No more tomorrows. I'm saying yes today. So what do you need to do? Maybe it is a relationship with Jesus. It needs to start today. Maybe it's being the spiritual leader of your home, sir. It starts today. Being a spiritual leader for your kids, it starts today. Giving, it starts today. What do you need to do today? Let's pray.